Good evening, this is Pamela, and you're listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We're going to continue in our book reading, Revelation Timeline Decoded, Messiah, Messiah's epic, I can't say that word, apocalyptic vision is a war manual that uses symbols and layers to hide the fulfillment by David Nokia Wilcoxon. And we are in chapter 7, The Seven Church Eras. Messiah's message to the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 2 through 3, has a general application to the saints of the first century, and his admonition and encouragement apply to saints in every generation. But suppose Messiah's message was only to the saints when Revelation was written. In that case, it makes no sense that each of the churches would face dramatically different situations since they are in such close proximity. There were much bigger churches in Corinth, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, etc. Why did Messiah speak only to these churches? Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 sets up the narrative of the seven church eras and provides some definitions that we will see applied in the prophecies. The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. Messiah is telling us that there is a mystery to be solved to unlock the apocalyptic vision. The secret is that Messiah is pointing to seven church eras which span from when Revelation was written until he returns. He chose these seven assemblies because their names and culture provide symbolism that points to what the saints face during the seven church eras. Interestingly, these seven assemblies were founded by the Apostle John, to whom Messiah gave the vision. A star in prophecy can point to a leader. The word angel in Greek, Strong's 32, Aglios, which means a messenger, especially an angel by implication, a pastor, angel, messenger. The seven stars are pointing to the leaders of the seven church eras. John is told to write these angels, and certainly the letters were not sent to the angels of heaven. Therefore, it becomes evident that the angels are the star of the church, the leader. Messiah then defines that the seven golden candlesticks represent the seven church eras. The Strong's Greek word for church is 1577, ecclesia, from a compound of 1537, ek, and a derivative of 2564, kilia, which means a calling out, i.e., con concretely a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation, Jewish synagogue, or Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven or both, assembly, church. Most pastors teach that Messiah's letters to the seven churches only apply to the current state of those assemblies, but you will see a different picture. Messiah walking amid the seven candlesticks reveals his intimate involvement, 
interest, and loving care for his saints during the seven church eras, which span until he returns. Regarding the church era of Ephesus, the saints spread the gospel in many countries and planted new churches, which required a lot of patience. They were burdened by opposition, and many were persecuted and killed. All of the apostles, except John, were killed by a violent death which no doubt was disheartening to the saints. When Messiah didn't return after Jerusalem's destruction, they may have relaxed their efforts and lost their love and zeal for good work. Chapter 8. Revelation is symbolic and literal. One way to hide the message from those who shouldn't understand it is to use symbols that are defined in the Old Testament. It's like a scriptural final exam, which tests to see who studies the whole word. People tend to take Revelation literally and try to apply it to current events, which results in bizarre, out-of-context explanations. In Vision of the Ages, 1881, by Barton Johnson says, We are to remember that it is a picture of some event or events of future history. We are to remember that it is symbolical and that instead of looking for a literal fulfillment, we are to ask the meaning of the symbols. In the seventh vial, 1848, James Aitken Wiley says, The apocalypse is, in brief, a history of the church written in grand symbolic characters from the ascension of Christ to his second and glorious coming. The key of the apocalypse is to be sought on the Old Testament scriptures. This is the briefest and perhaps the best rule that can be laid down for the interpretation of this book. In the prophets, the heavenly bodies uniformly symbolize the rulers of kingdoms. We find this symbol employed particularly in the denunciation against Egypt and Babylon. Of Egypt, Ezekiel says, I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee. In Ezekiel and other books of scripture, we find the false church exhibited under the symbol of a harlot. Rivers point to nations. Mountains and islands point to great and small kingdoms. Air points to the political atmosphere. Heaven to the civil or ecclesiastical firmament. The sun, the monarch, the stars, inferior rulers. Hail and thunder point to wars. Earthquakes point to revolution. A head points to a form of government, a horn to a leader, an altar to martyrdom, coals to severe judgment, a vine to a church, an angel to a minister of God's purposes. Thus, when we are shown in the apocalyptic drama, apocalyptic drama, coals of fire taken from the altar and cast upon the earth, we understand that the action indicated is the infliction of terrible judgment on account of the martyrdom of the saints on the inhabitants of the Roman world. In Horae um, Apocalypta 
Edward Bishop Elliot says, allusions shared between John and his audience ensured each word meant much more than its dictionary definition. In particular, John's audience was attuned to images and emblems in a way modern interpreters find hard to grasp. For example, when John said of the locust of the fifth trumpet, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. Clear and defined metaphors were being used which the audience could pick up upon. There was no fanciful or poetic superfluity in the words chosen. In Romanism and the Reformation, Henry Grayton Guinness says, The prophecies of Daniel and the Apocalypse, being symbolic in their language, are not to be interpreted literally. In these books, the sun, moon, stars, earth, fire, meteors, wind, storms, lightning, hail, rain, waters, sea, rivers, floods, dry land, overflowing of waters, drying up of waters, fountains, islands, trees, mountains, wilderness, beasts, as the lion, bear, leopard, goat, with their horns, heads, feet, wings, teeth, etc., are all symbolic. They are symbols of things of a different nature, though things angalias to these, or in some sense resembling them. I'll explain the symbolism of the prophecies as they come up on the timeline. Chapter 9. Revelation is from John's perspective. The narrative of Revelation can seem confusing when we try to apply it to what's going on in the world today. This is why Messiah gave the narrative from John's perspective in the first century so that we have a solid frame of reference for what the terms meant in John's day. Messiah declared this perspective in Revelation 1.19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Things that thou hast seen points to what John saw in the past. Things which are points to the current circumstances when Revelation was written. And when things which shall be hereafter are future from John's perspective. Messiah did this because it gives us a precise time stamp to be able to understand the prophecies. So when we go through the explanations of the prophecies, just keep in mind that it's from John's perspective, and we have to reference that historical view to unlock the truth. In the first three verses of Revelation, Messiah said that the things he describes in his apocalyptic vision must start shortly. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads. And they, they hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. 
With that in mind, let's start looking at how the prophecies in Revelation are fulfilled chronologically as we see the historical narrative of the Satan-empowered leaders of the Roman beast kingdom fight against Messiah's saints. Chapter 10, Revelation chapter 12, the Roman emperors. Look at the Revelation fulfillment chart. Now, I'm going to put that at the bottom and probably for the rest of the book, it will be down below so you can keep referring to it, okay? Um, let's see. On the bottom, you see the three phases of the Roman beast kingdom. Read through the first layer summary of the Revelation chapter 12 Roman Empire phase. Above it, you see that the Western Roman Emperor is the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who prevents the son of perdition from taking power. On the second layer, we see the narrative of the three church eras, which existed during the phase of the Roman beast kingdom, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. On the third layer, we see a summary of the seal and trumpet judgments that caused the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I'll explain all this in the upcoming chapters. Revelation 12 describes the mighty Roman Empire, which Messiah described as a great fiery red dragon, the woman in Messiah's assembly of saints. We know this because Revelation 12:17 points to the actions of the woman who have the testimony of Messiah. Revelation chapter 12:3 describes the pagan Roman Empire. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Messiah is pointing to the fourth beast that Daniel foretold. After this I saw the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. The dragon figure represents the Satan-empowered pagan Roman Empire, whose armies used the symbol of the dragon on their ensigns. As Daniel foretold, the Roman Empire was great and dreadful, much like a dragon, as they conquered and crushed the nations. The red represents the bloodshed of war and persecution. The ten horns represent the ten civil kingdoms that were formed after the Roman Empire collapsed. This matches the description of the Roman beast, in Daniel 7. The seven crowns match up with the description of the seven kings in Revelation chapter 17 verse 10, which represents the seven different forms of the Roman government. Notice that the diadem are on the seven heads. John is telling us that the Roman Empire, which had seven forms of government, 
is in power. When it falls and the Western Roman Emperor is removed from power, the popes seize control and the diadems will move to the ten horns. Satan failed in his attempt to stop the promised Messiah, so he turned his wrath on his saints to try to wipe them out. The early assembly of saints was birthed out of much pain as all of the disciples but John died from a violent death. Millions of saints were killed by the pagan Roman Empire. They cried in pain as they were tortured and killed. They also had to expose the false teachings that arose. Revelation chapter 12 verses 4 through 5 is pointing to Satan using the mighty Roman Empire to persecute the Messiah's early assembly of saints and destroy their scriptures, the rod of iron. Her child, the early assembly of saints, was persecuted for their faith and these martyrs were the first fruits of the kingdom who were symbolically caught up to Yah. The martyrs who were killed by the emperors did not deny their Messiah to preserve their lives. Rather, they honored him with the words of their testimony before the persecuting Romans, who must have marveled at their faith. The victory of the saints caused rejoicing in heaven, but it enraged Satan. The Roman Empire was declining, and he only had a short time to use the emperor's to try to wipe out the saints. The Spirit caused the people called the Vaudius to take the scriptures to the Piedmont Valley of the Alps, away from the Satan-empowered Roman Empire's influence. They were the church in the wilderness by which the spirit of scriptural doctrine has kept alive during the epics of the Roman Empire persecution. I'm going to stop that there, start back up in chapter 11. Okay, so that ends chapter uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. All right, brothers and sisters, I love you all so very much. Keep your eyes on Jesus, your nose in the book, which is the Word of God, and embed the Word of God upon the tablets of your hearts, so you will not sin against God or be deceived. Take this to the Lord in prayer. Open up your Bibles. Go through this. Please, brothers and sisters, don't take my word for it. Don't take David's word for it, but take God's word for it. All right. I love you all so very much. Till next time. Bye-bye.